can hear you. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people... And the people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon. the president. Good evening, my fellow Americans. I want to talk to you about where we are in the battle against COVID-19, the progress we've made and the work we have left to do. And it starts with understanding this. Even as the Delta variant 19 has COVID-19 has been hitting this country hard, we have the tools to combat the virus. If we can come together as a country and use those tools, if we raise our vaccination rate, protect ourselves and others with masking, expanded testing, and identify people who are infected, we can and we will turn the tide on COVID-19. It'll take a lot of hard work. And it's going to take some time. Many of us are frustrated with the nearly 80 million Americans who are still not vaccinated, even though the vaccine is safe, effective, and free. You might be confused about what is true and what is false about COVID-19. Welcome back to Enemy of the Surveillance State, where we discuss news tips and open source tools to help you protect your privacy in an age of mass digital surveillance. I am your host, C. Mitchell Shaw, and I am back after seven months. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the similarities, comparison, and contrast between 9-11 and COVID-19 and the way government has used both of those as a pretext for greater government control over citizens, including this, the expansion of the surveillance state this week on Enemy of the Surveillance State. Alrighty then. So first let's talk about the seven month hiatus that I did not mean to take. And I apologize to you, the listeners, and especially uh, those of you who've continued month after month after month for those seven months to support this show on Patreon. I feel like I owe you uh, a bigger explanation than any of you have gotten so far on social media or messaging or anything else. So my family made a move from Richmond, Virginia, which is sort of one of the woke capitals of the East Coast, uh, to the coastal Carolinas. And I'm not going to be more specific than that. I'm somewhere in the coastal Carolinas. Um, in the middle of those move, or that move, and I've made lots of moves. Uh, I, In my life on this earth, I've probably moved, I don't know, scores of times. Uh, sometimes across town, sometimes across the country. We moved a lot when I was growing up. Uh, my family and I, my wife and my children and myself have moved several times for jobs or, or other reasons uh, since my wife and I have been married. So lots of moves, never, ever had a move quite like this one. Uh, it was one thing after another. I was literally just bouncing back from COVID-19, picked up COVID right at the first of the year and uh, had a hard time shaking that. 
had no energy, had to push the move out a couple of times, finally made the move, and then had to get settled back in and start uh, back to my day job, my regular bread and butter gig, uh, writing for the New American and producing materials for them. Uh, that's the New American magazine. You can check me out there, thenewamerican.com, uh, and see what I write uh, over there. I also do a, occasional videos and things like that for them. So did that, made the move, bounced back from COVID, and then started trying to put my uh, office together here. Now, my studio slash office at the old house in Richmond was a building in the backyard, uh, that, uh, literally a work shed that I had converted into a studio and office. Here, I'm using the spare bedroom, and that has a lot of advantages. I'm right across the hall from a bathroom. I've got air conditioning and all that stuff. It's That's awesome. Uh, it's got its disadvantages sound-wise. I don't know if you can hear the difference. Uh, if you go back and listen to older episodes and listen to this episode, there's going to be a difference in the sound quality. I'm working on that. Hope to fix that problem. Um, but, you know, every time I step in to try to tackle that, I get behind on work and have to get caught up on work. And it's been one thing after another. Um, so I'm back and I'm back right after the 20th anniversary of my aha moment, 9-11. Uh, Everybody has their thing. Like you ask people, you know, when did you get red pilled or, um, you know, when, when, when did you wake up? Right. When did you realize that all is not well and that the government is sort of out to get you almost. Right. Um, and I'm not anti-government. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. So I'm very pro-government, but I'm very pro-constitutional government, which means that, uh, for most of my life, I'm against the kind of government that we've had most of my life. And I didn't realize that. I was a uh, post-9-11 patriot. And I've said that a couple of times on the show here before and in other venues. So that may not be a lot of news to some of you, but let me, let me sort of flesh out what I mean by that. Prior to 9-11, I thought good things about America. I felt warm and fuzzy about America. I always voted a straight Republican ticket because that's what you do if you're a patriot. But I was a patriot without any degree of, of depth or understanding. And then 9-11. I remember exactly where I was. I was selling cars at a Honda dealership in Petersburg, Virginia, just south of Richmond, and uh, was late to work that day, came into work late. Uh, it was a Tuesday, as we all remember. And I was running behind, so I'd, I'd grabbed my tie on the way out the door. I figured I'd put that on when I got there. I grabbed my razor and my toothbrush. I figured I'd brush my teeth and shave my face at work. So I step into the bathroom right off the service area of the dealership and, you know, get myself all, all shaved and get my teeth brushed, get my tie straightened up. And I'm stepping out of the bathroom to go put uh, my shaving equipment and my toothbrush and all of that in my desk drawer. And there's this crowd of employees standing there staring up at one of the televisions up in the corner in the service area. And one of those guys was our sales manager, whose job it was when he saw any of us looking at the television to say, hey, don't you have some, some customers you can be calling? Don't you have some prospects? Don't you have something you can be doing besides watching television? But he was looking at it. So that really got my attention. And I looked up and the first building was smoking. And, uh, you know, we're all trying to figure out what's going on. The, the talking heads on Meteor talking about a plane crash. Uh, and we're watching it when the second plane hit. And then it became really obvious, really quick, that this was not an accident, that America was under attack. And then, you know, within a short period of time, the, the story of the, the plane hitting the Pentagon, 
and then the field in Pennsylvania. And I was really never the same after that. I, I don't think anybody who was old enough to really know what was going on in that moment has ever really been the same. But it wasn't 9-11 per se. It wasn't 9-11 proper that did that to me. It was the weeks and months that followed with the the uh, the creation of the Department of Homeland Security, the passage of the Patriot Act that nobody had read. It's it's the size of a of a dictionary, uh, and it passed you know very very quickly. Nobody bothered to read that. It was one of those you got to pass it to find out what's in it kind of things. And cameras popping up on street corners, warrantless surveillance, all of these things. Now, I had voted for George W. Bush because again. You know, as a Christian, Jesus wanted me to vote a straight Republican ticket. And my tongue is kind of in my cheek when I say that. I, I am still a Christian. Uh, I'm Catholic now. Uh, I believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but too many Americans, um, especially then uh, and now to a different degree, but too many Americans with religious values uh, tend to load, uh, they sort of offload all of their responsibility onto our Lord's shoulders as if he's the one who's got to manage all of our affairs. And yes, God does intervene in the affairs of men, but usually it is through men. It is through us, through his people, uh, his hands and feet, his eyes and ears here on this earth, whose responsibility it is to occupy until he returns, to sort of take that, that responsibility for those things that are ours to be responsible for. Well, there I was in my late 20s, I guess, by that point, um, and watching all of this happen, and I realized that I wasn't taking those responsibilities. I wasn't, I wasn't even informed about what it meant to be a republic versus a democracy. I wasn't really informed about the key differences between what it meant to be a Republican or to be a Democrat. I wasn't really informed about the key principles of the founding of this nation, and I realized that I had to be. So in the weeks and months that followed 9-11, um, I really fell out of love with George W. Bush really, really quickly there. Uh, and not, not on a personal level, but just I began to see that this man is not a constitutionalist. Now, some of you listeners may want to beat me up for that. Well, he's you know better than a Democrat, and I don't disagree with you, but I have a good friend who says that it's a little bit like you're in a car headed toward a cliff going 100 miles per hour, and the Republicans in the back seat are arguing that you should slow down to 60, right? It doesn't matter how fast you're going. When you cross the lip of that cliff, you're going to fall at terminal velocity anyway. So, and then there's the, the occasional constitutionalist who's a, quote, dangerous reactionary, end quote, who's saying, well, you know what, maybe we ought to actually stop, come to a full stop, make a safe U-turn, and head back to where we're coming from instead of toward the edge of the cliff. Oh, shut up, they say. What do you know? You're unelectable and blah, blah, blah. So I fell out of love with George W. Bush. I fell out of love with the Republican Party because I began to see that the chief differences between the Republican Party and the Democrat Party are all surface things. They're all surface things. At their core, the two parties are not really that different. They're not really that different than, say, Walmart and Target, right? They all sell the same stuff, pretty much. 
Uh, they're, uh, I have a friend who says that they're, the, the two parties are uh, two retail outlets for the same wholesaler, right? The ideas are pretty much the same. And most of those ideas are promulgated by organizations like the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderbergers, uh, those types of movers and shakers, what what are called the insiders, the sort of deep state behind the state, those guys that really kind of move and shake things. And uh, every every president for the last ever how long has either been a member of the Council on Foreign Relations or is closely tied to the Council on Foreign Relations. And they're sort of one world government ideas. So now here I am beginning my awakening uh, in the wake of 9-11, and I'm watching a lot of news footage. I'm drilling down. I'm trying to find out what's going on, uh, and I'm remembering you know, all these things like Ruby Ridge, and if you don't know what Ruby Ridge is, do a quick duck, duck, go search about Ruby Ridge and Randy Weaver, and I'm, I, I'm not holding Randy Weaver up as a patriot. Uh, you know, The guy is problematic, to say the very least, uh, may actually even be a knuckle-dragging racist Neanderthal idiot. I don't know because I don't know him, but the point is, if you are a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal racist idiot, the government still ought not shoot you and threaten to shove your cabin off the edge of a mountain. So that's all I'm saying about that. Uh, and then, you know, just remembering those things, remembering Waco and the Branch Davidians and the way Janet Reno uh, sent her, her bulldogs in there to just attack them. And I'm not saying the Branch Davidians had all their ducks in a row. I'm not saying that they were great people. I'm saying they weren't hurting anybody and they were minding their own business for the biggest part. And if they weren't, then there were legal ways to serve a warrant and arrest David Koresh at any of the times when he was in Waco on business. And they knew exactly where he was because they'd spent ages and jillions of dollars surveilling his every movement. So I look at these heavy-handed government things from the past and now I'm looking at what's going on with 9-11, and I'm realizing, like, okay, um, we are transitioning from the land of the free and the home of the brave to the land of the enslaved because we're afraid of those boogeyman terrorists out there. That sound clip at the beginning, George W. Bush, I hear you. And the, the people who knocked these buildings down are soon going to hear all of us. That was his war cry. So we go to war in Afghanistan, uh, or again, as I like to refer to the Middle East collectively, Afghan Iran, Iraqistan, because the average American can't point any of those places out on a map. He just knows that God hates those people and wants us to kill them all, right? Like, let's go to war. And okay, you know what? Fine. We probably needed to go to war. I'm not, I'm anti-war, but I'm not, I'm not a beatnik pacifist, Right. Uh, sometimes the only answer is when everything else has been exhausted, sometimes you have to punch somebody in the mouth. Sometimes you have to pick up weapons and go to war and defend your homeland. We were attacked on that day. It was a sucker punch. Uh, yes, our government knew it was coming. Look up Project Able Danger, and it becomes really obvious really quick that we knew 9-11 was coming. We might not have known it was going to happen on September 11th. Maybe we did, maybe we didn't. But there's not really any doubt that we knew that that attack was coming and that it was going to include the buildings that it included and that it was going to include airplanes being flown by terrorists who knew how to fly but didn't know how to land because they never planned to land, okay? So coming out of that, 
we've got this this boogeyman that we have to go to war with. And sure, we probably needed to go to war. Afghanistan was harboring the guy behind the 9-11 attack, Osama bin Laden, right? So we go to war, but we did it without a congressional declaration of war, which we have done in every war we've been involved in since World War II. That is the last time the United States of America Congress got together and declared war and we went to war. And every war since then, it's been the United Nations sending us to war to keep the peace according to their measures and their ideas and their principles, but not America's, right? Or it's been Congress, like like with 9-11, like with Afghanistan, giving the president permission to do whatever he thinks is best, which is not a congressional declaration of war. These are unconstitutional wars and therefore wrong. Okay, so now coming out of that, though, in that war, in that crisis, in that scenario, the terrorists were the boogeyman. And we were all supposed to just roll up our freedoms and hand them to the government. It's why we allowed the warrantless surveillance. The surveillance state was able to sort of come out into the light a little bit after 9-11 and admit that they were harvesting phone calls, harvesting emails, harvesting browsing histories, harvesting all these these data points about us, right? Now, they didn't start doing that at 9-11. They'd been doing much of it, but they expanded it greatly after 9-11 and sort of came out under the light about it. Not a lot, just some. There was some public discussion. There was some argument about how far that should go as Congress sort of pretended to push back against President Bush and his administration in the way that they were doing those things to fight those darned terrorists, right? And it wasn't really until Ed Snowden years later that we began to realize how much more of that was going on. But here's what's interesting. If you think about what they were able to do, the the data that they were able to harvest right after 9-11, who had a smartphone? There was no such animal as a smartphone in 2001, 2002, 2003, right? So these were your flip phones, and this was your landline, and these were, you know, computers on a dial-up internet connection, and nobody was really nearly as plugged in to all of that as we are today. So if we think about the amount of data that they were able to harvest then to create profiles about people, now with smartphones and always connected internet devices and, you know, you got your internet device uh, connected doorbell, you've got your internet connected toaster, you've got your internet connected garage door opener and all of these things, it's much more data that they're able to grab about us now. But then if you go back and listen to that first clip again, just the very opening segment there, the reason I compare those two sound clips, first you got George W. Bush saying, they are going to hear us. I hear you and the people who knock down these buildings are very soon going to hear all of us, right? He's projecting the fear. He's projecting the anger. He's projecting the need to do something. And I'm putting air quotes around that on pretty much everybody who's Middle Eastern and of Arab descent, okay? And we're going to go and we're going to get those people, right? So now the second sound clip there is Joe Biden. And, you know, I'm going to move past the point that Joe, uh, geriatric Joe, 
slurs his way through that and refers to, uh, what was it, uh, Delta variant 19 before he kind of like something in the back of his mind goes, oh, that doesn't sound right. And he kind of corrects himself, COVID-19, uh, because he can't even keep his talking points. Sure, I'm going to just move past that. That's that's low-hanging fruit. It's, it's, it's fun to notice, and that's why there's a whole genre of YouTube videos out there of Joe Biden tripping over his tongue and saying silly things and just drifting off into la-la land right in the middle of a speech. But we're going to move past that and just talk about what he's doing here. Because in the 9-11 crisis, the boogeyman was out there somewhere, and we needed to go to war and get him. Now, 20 years later, we've abandoned Afghanistan to the Taliban. Taliban is back in control after being kept at bay for 20 years by American blood. Now, again, we had no constitutional basis for that war. So as a matter of principle, as a matter of we need to be abiding by the Constitution, I was against that war. But there is a point at which you have bought yourself a moral responsibility. If a man is unfaithful to his wife and sires a child on the side with his mistress, he can't now just come to his senses and say, you know, this whole relationship is wrong and I'm just walking away, right? No, well, that's fine. But now you've got a responsibility. Now there's a child alive in this world that you are responsible for clothing and feeding and getting through school and bringing to maturity. That's your responsibility. Should not be your responsibility should never have happened, but it did happen, and now you've got a responsibility. So Uncle Joe decides we're just going to pull out of Afghanistan. Like, that's that. We're done. We're out of here, and just give the whole thing back over to them because the major pretext today isn't so much terrorism. The pretext they're going to ride for all it's worth today is COVID-19. I'm sorry, Delta variant 19, as Joe said. Right, So they're going to ride COVID-19 for all it's worth. They're going to milk it for everything they can get out of it. And they're going to use it for contact tracing. They're going to use it for increased surveillance. They're going to use it for increased censorship. So, you know, I, I've, I've shifted gears a lot over the last even year. If you had asked me a year, year and a half ago, whether I thought um, that companies like Google, Facebook, Twitter, um, should be barred from banning certain people from their platforms or censoring certain content, I would have made that typical uh, free market argument of, no, 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 that's a private business. They can do what they want to do. Uh, they're not, you know, the government. So, you know, we don't have the right to regulate what they can or can't do as, as private businesses. But I've come to realize they are not private businesses. They are, in a sense, an ad hoc part of the government. Uh, many of them have received, uh, in fact, all of them, I think, all of the ones I just mentioned, have received major government funding in the past. They work together hand-in-hand -hand with government on major initiatives. I don't think there's any dispute that the big tech companies are so deeply in bed with the government that it's hard to tell where one stops and the other begins. So when they censor, that really is tantamount to government censorship. When they ban, that is really tantamount to government banning. And that is where we are. We're at a place now where with COVID-19, all bets are off. You can't say this. You can't say that. Uh, this episode, I'm going to post it to social media. 
Uh, I'm trying to like race back through my mind. Have I said anything on here that, you know, they could, oh, well, that's misinformation. That's, that's uh, fake news. And we're going to, we're going to take this down. You know what? If I have, and they do to heck with them, I don't care because I'm not going to censor myself out of fear of having someone else censor me. The end result is the same. The solution is for us to begin protecting our own privacy, to move away from these big tech things because of the incestuous relationship between the government and big tech, because of the incestuous relationship between the surveillance state and the culture of surveillance. Because it doesn't really matter who is surveilling you. It doesn't really matter who's harvesting your data if it's all going to wind up in the same bucket at the end anyway. And that bucket at the end is the surveillance state. Now, it doesn't matter if some FBI agent somewhere is listening into my phone calls or reading my texts or my emails or my browsing history, or if all of that's being done by big tech and then they're just gift wrapping it and handing it off to the government, it all winds up in the hands of the surveillance state. And it's time that we as Americans, that we as patriots, begin protecting our own data. And I, I am at a place where I am done trying to play nice with hardcore leftist liberals. Uh, I have tried to cast a very wide net where this show was concerned because there are so many people fighting for privacy that consider themselves liberals. And I wanted to be able to hopefully at some point in the future have some of those people as guests on my show. Love to have someone from the Electronic Frontier Foundation come on the show and let's talk about privacy issues, though I disagree with them about things like net neutrality and LGBTQ plus, et cetera, rights. Uh, now, by that, do I mean that I think it's okay to mistreat people because they fit into this category or that category? No, but I don't think that's happening. I think that today, the great badge of honor that bulletproofs you against any kind of uh, criticism at all is to lump yourself together with the Rainbow Coalition, and now nobody can ever criticize you about anything that you are doing or have ever done because you'll just claim that you're being discriminated against. So I'd love to have someone from EFF on, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. I'd love one day to interview Ed Snowden on this show. And so I've tried to you know, play nice and and not get very political about things. And I meant what I said on the last episode, though, that we need to open up the lines of communication. We need to open up dialogue and not broad brush individuals, people too quickly with this. Oh, well, you're a Democrat. So you're, you're, you know, a, a communist or, you know, well, oh, you're a Republican. So you're a Nazi and all of these pejoratives that we use to just insult people so that we don't have to answer their argument. I am about answering the argument, and that isn't changing. But what will be changing in the tone of this program, in the tone of this podcast, is that I'm not going to play nice anymore. I'm not going to go out of my way to ignore inconvenient things, because if I address that, then I'm liable to step on someone's liberal little toes uh, if you're listening to the show and you're a liberal and you like what you hear, great. Keep listening. If you're listening to the show and you're a liberal and I've hurt your feelings, go find another podcast. There are lots of them. Uh, and that's kind of where I am. It's time for us as patriots, as I'll say conservative. I, I don't know that that term fits me. I prefer constitutionalist. Okay. It's time for us as constitutionalists to stand up 
and take back our own, right? To say, no, the Constitution says, and here's what I believe, and here's why I believe it, and here's why I defend that, and here's why I'm against that. Make the arguments, inform ourselves, protect our privacy. And the biggest part of that is going to mean you need to end your relationship with Google and, and as much other big tech as you can. In coming episodes, starting next week and every week after that, until I have exhausted as much as I possibly can, I'm going to be talking about how to de-Google your life. And some of it is going to be really simple stuff. And some of it's going to be a little more technological. And you may have to find somebody with tape on his glasses to help you do it. Or go onto the web and do your own research and figure it out. But this is what it's going to take if we're going to be free and continue to operate as enemies of the surveillance state. Because I think you know by now uh, that the surveillance state is your enemy. They're out to get you. It's just that simple. They are not harvesting all of your data because they're bored and don't have anything else to do. They are harvesting your data because they see you as a potential enemy. And if you hold certain ideas, if you believe certain things, if you hold certain opinions, then you are considered their enemy. If you don't believe it, post some of those things live on Facebook or Twitter and see how long it stays up. Put it up on a YouTube video and see how long Google leaves it there. So it's time to begin begin ending your relationship with these companies that are not on your side, with these companies, these big tech companies who exist for the sole purpose of harvesting your data and using it against you. And starting next week, I'm going to be drilling down step by step, week after week, into one element after another about how you can end your relationship with Google. I'm going to move on from there to talk about uh, whether or not uh, you ought to be using social media. And if so, some ways that you can do that to sort of mitigate some of the dangers and some of the surveillance features that are just baked in to social media. So that's my tirade. That's my comparison between 9-11 and COVID-19. Both of them, look, I'm not a COVID denier. There really is a virus called COVID and it really has killed some people. Do I personally believe that it has killed as many people as the state tells me it has? No, because one, they habitually lie to us. Two, the math just doesn't work. And three, if this virus was as bad as they say it is, most everybody you know would be dead by now, right? So I don't believe that personally. Based on the research that I've done, I tend to believe that COVID is not as bad as we are being told it is. I also do not believe that masking and vaxxing are necessarily the best answers to dealing with COVID. And I'm phrasing that very carefully. You know what I'm saying, but maybe, maybe I haven't crossed any lines so that when I put this video up on YouTube, they're just going to wind up taking it down. Let's find out. And when I say video, of course, I just post the audio, but you'll figure it out. And do I think that that COVID rises to the level of 9-11? No. No, I don't. I don't think we were just attacked by a foreign power. I don't think we were just attacked by a loose assembly of terrorists all working together to bring down the great Satan. 
I don't think it's that bad. I don't think COVID's as bad as 9-11, but the reaction to it has been at least as bad as 9-11 as government has grabbed onto this thing and ridden it for as far as they can. It might be the only thing Joe Biden's got going for him. Every time something else falls apart, he just goes back to COVID or the environment or one of his tried and true whipping boys. And it's about time that we as patriots rise up and figure out how to communicate amongst ourselves in a way that's off the grid, in a way where I can do the internet searches that I need to do to find out what I need to find out, and I can communicate that to some of my friends in my circles and in my groups without shouting it out loud from the rooftops for anybody in the surveillance state to hear, read, and harvest. So we're going to be talking about that in the coming weeks. God bless you. Thank you for your continued support. If you are not a supporter of the show, please consider supporting on Patreon. There'll be a link in the show notes down below. God bless you, and we'll see you next time on Enemy of the Surveillance State.